The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. Where Andy talks to people he met on the internet. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 40 of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I am your host, Andy Compton, and today on the show we have a very special guest. Her name is Shruti Saran. So, Shruti is an Indian-American TV writer, emerging filmmaker, and third culture kid. She writes across genres and loves edgy comedies and grounded sci-fi. She's written on a few different shows in comedy, drama, live action, and animation at Netflix and Amazon. Most recently, she was an ESE executive story editor for season two of Slip, a sci-fi comedy on Roku. Um, obviously, early in her career, but already kind of quite accomplished. And I feel like the TV writers are going to get a lot out of this episode. Something that I could never give to you because I'm not a TV writer. I'm more of a feature guy. Um, but yeah, it was a great episode and she is very smart and has a lot of cool experience and a really unique kind of origin story with how she got her start. And we talk about, you know, what it's like to write in writer's rooms. Um, yeah, I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. If you like what you hear, if you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It's one of those down there. Subscribe to the channel, like the video, leave a comment, say something smart Shruti said, say something dumb that I said. Um, and if you're only listening, go to our social media, Instagram or Twitter at social writer pod, tag us up, say something smart that Shruti said, say something dumb that I said, um, whatever you want, just help spread the word, you know, and if you want to donate to the show, you can do that too at social writer pod. There's a link tree link where you can donate really appreciate anything we can get. That's about it guys. I'm going to let you hop into this episode with Shruti Saran. All right, Shruti Saran, it's so nice to have you on the show and meet you for the very first time over the internet. Uh, how's it it's going so, today? It's going great. It's been sort of a weird day, but um, yeah. I'm ready to get into it. Oh, heck yeah, let's do it. Um, so yeah, we were just chatting a little bit about kind of where you're from and how you came to America. Um, born in England, did you say, or India? I was actually born in India. Yeah. Okay. And then when I was like three, when I was very young, mm -hmm. I uh, moved to England and then I uh -huh. moved to the United States as a kid. So okay. yeah, yeah, just kind of uh, moved around the world. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. A mostly American upbringing outside of like childhood experiences. That's like how my mom is. She was born in Okinawa, Japan, lived there until she was like eight years old and then grew up in San Diego. So it's like, you know, from Japan, but, you know, very much like a custom new American lifestyle and all that. Totally. Yeah. It's so weird because I do, I feel like very American in my bones, but um, I realize when I, in talking to other people or especially, especially like in becoming a writer and like being really forced to like, sort of like synthesize my life experiences that yeah. it is different. Like it has like like being growing up in different countries and sort of like bopping around, like following my parents as they built their careers mm -hmm. as completely, it has affected my point of view and like totally impacted the way that I see the world. But yeah, yeah. I formative years in uh, Missouri, as we were talking about and yeah. Michigan. Yeah. And for listeners who don't know, you probably know because I talk about it all the time, but I live in St. Louis, Missouri. I've been here most of my life. And Shruti, the first city you lived in when you came to America was Columbia, Missouri, which is like an hour from me. Uh, small world, small country, right? <laughs> that's super yeah, cool. That's, that's so crazy. You're in Missouri yeah. right now. You're I'm still, still in Missouri. Missouri. I'm in St. Cool. Louis, I'm... Missouri. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and I've been that? here most of my life like you. Um I well no you were older but I arrived here when I was very young I was born in Michigan my dad was in the military so we moved around a bit my older brothers moved around a ton but by the time I got around we I was born in Michigan Lansing moved to North Carolina when I was like one and then by the time I was like three going on four we settled down in Missouri and I've been here ever since so we'll see oh if God. I end up uh leaving and coming to LA at some point um, which don't let me forget, but one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you today 
you've been on a list of mine. It's just like kind of a cool person on Twitter that I wanted to talk to about screenwriting. But um, I saw after I messaged you about this, I saw the thread that you made about moving to LA and the advantages and disadvantages. And we'll totally dive into that too, because that's very interesting to someone like me. And I know there's a lot of writers who listen to this that aren't in LA and maybe are thinking about making the jump. And uh, I just think it'd be cool to hear that firsthand experience. Totally, totally. Yeah. Sometimes I go off on Twitter and I'm like, I'm either going to get totally dragged for this tweet thread or people are going to find it helpful. And yeah, I never no. know which one it's going to be. Yeah. No, I thought yours was really helpful and cool. And like, yeah, I, th- I think people get into trouble when, I mean, it can happen to a, a person who's just making a reasonable statement and some fucking yeah. weirdo is like, hey, what do you mean by that? You know, and blah, blah, yeah. blah. But, um, But then I think that you were approaching it not from a like a high horse position of like, you know, this is why you need to be in L.A. to make it. And, you know, you were just like, this is my experience. And if that helps you, then cool. If not, that's okay too. Yeah, I I do try to I do try to choose my words carefully, for sure. It's a it's a very toxic place, that website. Um, You see people get dragged for like nothing. And you're like, yeah, what is going on? One of my favorite tweets, uh, some guy was like. Twitter is so crazy. You can literally be like, the sky is blue and somebody will be like, this bitch doesn't know what night is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it, it's so true too. It's insane. Or um, I saw one that was like, uh, uh, you know, you tweet pancakes are really good. And someone's like, oh, I guess waffles are just you yeah. know total bullshit. And it's like, that's <laughs> not what I said. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it's such a weird place. But um, especially the screenwriting side of it, it, it's such a niche subculture where people just uh, have nothing better to do at times than talk about, you know, the classic bolded slug lines is one that everyone talks about. Or, you know, um, uh, I'm, I, there, there's been a million, you know, what when do you uh, what do you capitalize in your action lines? Is it only sounds? Is it important moments? Is it this? Is it that? And like everyone just has a take and. I'm pretty much a believer of like, if you write well, none of that matters. You can do whatever you want, kind of. Uh, but the story has to be engaging. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's I mean, this this industry, I think, is is so scary because there are no rules at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no like structure and there's no path. And mm-hmm. uh, that. And, you know, that really, I I think that's really intimidating, but it's also really freeing because you don't have to like go to school and get this degree and, and only then can you be a screenwriter. Like you can, you can come at it from different ways and you can play to your strengths if you figured out what they are. Definitely. Yeah, I know it is. You're right. It's, it's half intimidating and half like liberating. Um, I totally agree with that. Okay, so before we get too much into that stuff, uh, I do just want to take it back. And the first thing I want to ask you, Shruti, is how did you get into screenwriting? Um, I kind of saw it in your bio on your website, and it's a pretty interesting story where you wrote your first original pilot um, at what point in your life you were at. So, yeah, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us how you got into screenwriting? Uh, yeah, so I kind of, I mean, I gave you a little background already. I was born in India. I Mm -hmm. like moved to England when I was very young. And then I moved to the United States, uh, when I was like eight, Mm -hmm. um, kind of collecting weird accents as my parents collected advanced degrees. Mm -hmm. And in college, I studied biology and biochem. So my original plan was to be some kind of like doctor or scientist, And I sort of started backpedaling on that plan, I would say, towards the end of college because I um, realized that I inconveniently hated hospitals. Mm -hmm. Um, And and at the same time, I had met this guy like very serendipitously, like one day in New Jersey Mm -hmm. and uh, fell in love with Mm -hmm. him. And he um, he was a physicist. He uh, lived in Texas and was getting his PhD in physics at UT. So after two years of dating um, him long distance, I moved to Texas to be uh, near my now husband. Yeah. Um, and 
I started working in startups. Like my last job, my last like day day job was at a digital marketing agency as an analyst for pharmaceutical clients. I think because I had like a science background that kind of just fell into that. But I knew that I didn't want that to be the rest of my life. And I had also sort of like I don't know moving to Austin. Austin is kind of like a fun creative city, and so mm-hmm. I had started like dabbling in improv and like doing a little bit of stand up and like you know writing sketch comedy and like doing all this stuff that I hadn't really. Uh, let myself do in Michigan where I went to college where I was pre-med and like my identity was that of like a pre-med science person. Sure. Um, And I was also kind of getting really obsessed with uh, half hour sitcoms and Mm -hmm. wanted to like, I was, I was obsessed with community. I think community was the first show that I was watching and I was just like, Oh my God, somebody's writing this. Like, how are they doing this? How are they doing multiple storylines and like weaving them together mm-hmm. and um and the, the amount of jokes and, yes and then on top so of sharp. that like like the 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 joke density of mm-hmm. your average episode of community is just so high and i was just yep. like flabbergasted and kind of set out to demystify the sitcom for myself um by writing specs and the first spec that i wrote was a community spec mm-hmm. and That, I mean, I wrote that spec like long before I had kind of come around to the realization that I wanted to be a television writer. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was like my first, that was me kind of dipping the toes in. Sure. Um, But I kept working uh, in Austin until finally my husband was sort of at a crossroads in his career. He's an entrepreneur um, and he wanted to figure out his next like his next venture basically Mm -hmm. um and he's like a you know he's like a software guy and i think he was also just like tired of um he was tired of like being behind a computer all day so Mm -hmm. he told me that he wanted to move to the woods and build a cabin Mm -hmm. um and he had he'd spent like months kind of ideating on this cabin like he had designed this cabin in SketchUp which is like the poor man's version of CAD mm-hmm. and um is that like some like, kind of like architecture program I don't yes, know what that is okay yes, yeah yeah cool, it's like cool. yeah it's like architecture software where you can like you can you can design you can design blueprints basically yeah, yeah. awesome so he had he had the house that he wanted to build he had the cabin that he wanted to build kind mm. of it was it was sort of like a it was sort of I hate saying tiny house because it makes me seem like like a like a crazy prepper homesteader, but this is, <laughs> this, is, this is my truth. So I might as well just yeah. like lean into it. Yeah. Um, though we though, and I was also like thinking about being a screenwriter and like trying to write on nights and weekends. Um, but I think honestly looking to pivot. So when he said this, I sort of jumped at the opportunity because I wanted to leave my job. I wanted an excuse to leave my job. Um, And I wanted to reorganize my life around Mm -hmm. writing and I wanted to do all these things. I just hadn't um, had the courage to do them. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that like, this probably wasn't something that we would be able to do in the future. We were in our twenties. Like we had a lot more flexibility than I have even now. Um, Mm -hmm. So we did it. We moved to the woods and we spent like the next few months, almost a year building like building this house by hand um together just the two of us um and then occasionally our friends would come up and um help with like big pushes Mm -hmm. um and it was it was like a ridiculous year i don't think we would have done this without our friends because we have a couple friends who work in construction so they were able to help us but it was a lot of honestly like watching youtube and being like how do you frame a house and then framing the house and like how do you do the floor and like doing the floor and like how do you install hardy board and like Yeah, yeah that's a lot um Um, so we did that and I kind of used my downtime from manual labor to write my first pilot. Um, and then came back to Austin after this year and, um, you know, reintegrated into urban life and, Mm -hmm. but sort of at a different tempo, um, and like reorganized my life around screenwriting basically. And then Mm -hmm. did that for years until I wrote the scripts that got me uh, reps and finally staffed and brought me mm-hmm. to LA. That's awesome. Do you remember how many years it was from the cabin until like you started getting 
in your foot in the door in the industry? Yeah. So we built the cabin in 2000. We built like half a cabin. Uh-huh. <laughs> still not done. Still not done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, we built the cabin in like 2015 or 2016 and uh-huh. I uh, staffed in 2021. Okay. Yeah. So a good four or five years, five, yeah. maybe six. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. I just, the only reason I asked that is like for everyone on their journey, you know what I mean? It's very easy for us to be like, am I taking forever? I, I see people on Twitter having success so quickly sometimes. And I just like putting that out there. Cause for me, I'm in, I'm hopefully going to be working on my first feature, this like directing a feature, uh, hopefully this year, maybe next year. I don't know, but it's, it's getting close to that, but I've been now I'm like eight years in, I think, or like seven. So it, and it just takes a while, you know, yeah. like uh, we, we have in common that you were doing improv and stand up and stuff. I also did some of that, like in like 2017, 18, 19, before the pandemic hit. And, um, you know, being so tuned into comedy as I'm sure you are as well, like, a lot of comedians, you know, from the time you do your first open mic, you have to work diligently and consistently. And even then it's going to be seven to 10 years before you're like, you know, possibly making like a decent career out of this. Like it really just takes a long time for most people. Um, just want to throw that out there to to maybe put some people at ease if it's taking you a long time and you feel like you're in year four or five of just, you know, entering contests and all these things and nothing's really happening keep going because you're probably getting really close. Yes. No, absolutely. I think it takes like 10 to 15 years, no matter how you slice it. Mm -hmm. And the people who go faster, usually we're doing something like screenwriting adjacent before, like they were either journalists or they uh, went to film school and then like took a little bit of a break. Like I feel Mm -hmm. like when you count up the years where people were sort of working towards this, um, it's always 10 years, even for me, like between, like between cabin and staffing, staffing Mm -hmm. might've just been like five or six years, but I was still thinking about this stuff before I had written, um, four specs before I wrote an original pilot. I just had this like failure to launch (laughs) on original material and specs were easier. So I would keep writing a spec while failing Mm -hmm. to write an original pilot, write another Mm -hmm. spec while failing to write an original pilot. And they, those specs taught me a lot, but as far as pushing my career forward, they were really useless. Mm -hmm. Um, because no, you know, nobody wants to read specs. And I knew that. Yeah. 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 Gone are the days of specs getting you in the room. Now it's, yeah, it's original ideas, but, um, you didn't go to film school, correct? You, you went to your biochem program, but never like a film school. Yeah. I, yeah. I studied biology and biochem in undergrad and so, yeah, those specs are your film school, really. Like they're your screenwriting courses of like, you know, yeah, you're not making original content yet, but like, I think it's easier when you have a blueprint of how a TV, a TV show you love, especially is supposed to go that. Yeah. yeah it just makes it a little easier. I, I joke about this all the time on the podcast because everyone makes fun of the book, Save the Cat. But that really opened my mind when I read Save the Cat, because before that I was writing just free writing with no outline. I didn't really understand story structure yet. And mm-hmm. I was just winging it, you know, and improvising a little bit every day on the page. And once I read that book, it was like, oh, now I have a roadmap now. Like, at least it's it's almost like a fill in the blank thing when you read like that Save the Cat beat sheet of like here, this should kind of be happening in your story. And then you move on to this section and then you're at the midpoint and that's this should be like this. It just gave me a blueprint. And I think like with writing TV specs, maybe it's similar of like, at least, you know, the structure, you know, the blueprint and it can just allow you to like dip your toes in the water as you said and um just even get started it's so hard to get started as a screenwriter um and sometimes i think now that i've been doing it for a while i kind of forget just how hard it is to go in as a complete blank slate it's just so overwhelming absolutely it's it's so hard it's so hard (laughs) i try to remember how hard it is because i think the further the further you go the more removed you are from the feeling of being a beginner and Mm -hmm. um i just i i like i have to remember that feeling because i think it helps me empathize with people who are just getting started it is Mm -hmm. so hard there's so many problems you have to solve um and only one of those problems is how do I finish a script that is good? 
Yeah. Um, there's so many other, um, there are so many other parts of being a screenwriter. And I think like yeah. developing community and finding people who will like read your work and give you feedback are oh. almost harder problems to solve than writing the dang thing. And, oh. um, writing the dang thing is already <laughs> so fucking hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But then, like you said, finding people who will read your work and like you realize early on, it's a lot of trial and error of like getting notes from someone and having that really awkward moment reading their notes like, oh, they don't get me yeah. at all. And how am I going right. to talk about how am I going to reply to this email? It takes a little bit to find your tribe and find your people, but it's a necessary thing. And then the whole thing of like, you know, what is a manager? What is an agent? I thought those were the same thing. What what do they do? Di and just every I, I noticed I had already been writing for like, I don't know, six or seven years when I got a uh, manager. And once I got a manager, it was like cracking open another 50% of this world that now I have to learn the industry side and how the business actually works. Uh, Cause it's, it's not just dreaming up this great script and typing fade out and sending it out. And now someone wants to make it. And you know, it's, it's tough. People are looking for different things. There's mandates and all that stuff. And there's so much strategy that you can try to brainstorm up and how to get something made. Do we go to a star first and get that star attachment? And then there, then we're rolling. Or do we find a producer who's really smart and blah, 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 blah. We could talk forever about it. But I remember the overwhelming feeling of being like, I have a manager. I'm in the door. I kind of know a lot about this stuff and realizing that I didn't know anything pretty quickly. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to Agreed. make this super depressing up top about how hard this is. Uh, that's, I tend to do that in conversations. No, um, but anyway, yeah, uh, I could dwell on that all day and I won't force you to because I want to force you to do another awkward thing. Uh, I want you to tell me, how would you describe your brain? Uh, okay. Yeah. I hate this yeah, part. I know um, we're doing it. Um, all right. Well, uh, I guess I kind of described how it's, it's been like a pretty winding journey, uh, to TV, but it's, and, but like that journey has, um, ha I think informed my perspective as a writer because of, I mean, I started out in comedy. I wrote a bunch of comedy, um, specs and then pilots before I ever tried my hand at drama. Um, so I, I still really just like love high concept comedies. Um, but I, I staffed, my first uh, staff job was a genre show and the script that like sort of like got me a manager and an agent and all that was a drama. Um, so now I'm like very much a multi-genre writer. Um, and, but as far as like what I write specifically, I think I'm really drawn to stories about characters who are trying to make like big changes in their lives and maybe like questioning their belief systems or feeling stuck between what is expected of them and what they want for themselves. Like a lot of my characters are kind of grappling with ambition or like grappling with some big idea. And I think that's kind of the thing that's like pulled me away from comedy because as much as I love comedy and as much as I love sort of high concept comedies, and I think you can explore a lot through comedy um, a lot of the ideas that I have actually lend themselves really well to like grounded sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Um, but no matter what, I think levity uh, it is sort of a through line in both of my, uh, comedies and dramas. I like, I like things, I like things to be like a little funny and a little light because mm -hmm. I think that's life. Yeah. That's yeah, I have a similar thing going on. And I think it's a real gift if you want to dip your toes into genre down the line. And because if you can develop those story skills for dramatic storytelling, but your roots are in just cracking a couple jokes here and there, blending mm -hmm. those together is so good. Like when you see a horror movie where the jokes are actually really landing, yes. but they're not overwhelming, they're just tasteful yes. and perfect. It just amplifies everything or a dramatic yeah. story, you know, um, totally. same Exactly. Like comedy is used to break the tension or yes, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yep. Yeah. I love and sometimes it. you love see, it. sometimes you see stuff where you're like, eh, like the, you know, the, the jokes aren't really like, yeah. uh, just saying that like, yeah, if you, if you come from comedy learning, if you already know how to tell a joke or write a joke, craft a joke, 
um if you can learn dramatic storytelling skills to go with that like it's just going to be you're going to be killing it in my opinion um because story story's tough you know like not every funny person can tell a dramatic story and then vice versa you know and you don't need jokes to tell a great dramatic story obviously um but for my taste i just love it yeah there's also nothing worse than like a dramatic story that's too self-serious. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I just feel myself like gro groaning internally. Like sometimes it works, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if, if people can see the humor in the situation, I think if your characters yeah. can see the humor in the situation, I think that's always, that's always like. Yeah, tops. totally. I know. And I also, I think I've just never been that serious of a person and I find it difficult to write a very serious story that has no levity. I just can't yeah. do it. I'm like, I have to poke fun at it at some point and let people know that I'm not trying to take myself this serious. There, There is a time yeah. for it for sure. But, um, but anyway, okay, cool. Um, let's talk about like how you write. Um, so since everyone's writing routine is unique, can you describe to me your regular writing routine? Like, do you write in the morning? Do you write late at night? Do you write on the couch, at a desk, in your bed? Um, what's it usually like whenever you go to write? Um, I try to get up and write. I, I like get up, make coffee. I mm -hmm. get up, do the dishes, make coffee while, while the coffee is heating up. And then I mm -hmm. try to sit down at my desk and mm -hmm. start writing. I'm kind of like one of those people who, if I fuck up my morning, then I feel like the rest of my day is fucked. But like, if I, yeah. if I, um, if I like, if I get one, if I get something kind of hard done in the morning, then I feel like the best of the rest of the day is better. Mm. Um, is that part of waking up and doing the dishes immediately? Like, uh, I just can't do the dishes. At, I can't do. I, I can't do the dishes <laughs> at night. Oh yeah, is it like a tiny? Is it like a small win to start yeah. my day? Yeah. I don't know. I just can't do the dishes at night. Mm -hmm. I, and I feel like it's really inefficient, especially right now that I'm at home. Cause I'm not like on a staff. I think yeah. it's really inefficient to like do the dishes as you go along in your day. I don't know what kind of psychopaths do that. So uh -huh. I, <laughs> I just like let them pile up and I yeah. do them in the morning because, um, otherwise they get out of control and I don't want to do them in the evening. So that's just yeah, like, that makes sense that to I me. Have. That makes sense to me. Um, and yeah, and the evening is for chilling. You know, like, the evening is for chilling. Know? Yeah, I'll also, work tomorrow. It's not, it's not wet. It's not like dead time because my I'm boiling water for the French press. So if I do the dishes while the water's boiling and the French press is brewing, it's like it's time management. Like, totally efficient. Yeah, yep, totally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then I sit down at my desk. I work here in my office usually mm -hmm. most of the time. Mm -hmm. Awesome, cool. Um, do you? Let's see. So let's talk about your process. Like, let's say you have a brand new idea. Do you jump directly into an outline? Do you try to brainstorm up like a simple log line? Do you need a title before you can write? I'm a psycho. And for some reason, I need a title um, and like a cool font. I don't know. It's all procrastination for me, but um, but I'm weird like that. Or do you just jump in and start writing pages? I've met a lot of writers who do that. Um, what's it usually like for you when you have a brand new idea? Um, I think a lot of times ideas for me will come about as a result of a conversation with us with a smart friend. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of times I need to like sort of talk about an idea with someone often some like just another writer or someone in my writer's group usually. Mm -hmm. Um, and they'll help me sort of find what is interesting about the idea or confirm that it's interesting at all. And I'm not just kind of obsessed with something that nobody cares about. Sure. Um, or, or they'll help me sort of like talk about how the idea could be more timely so that the, the script feels timely. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll go brainstorm. Uh, mm -hmm. I might like read a bunch of stuff. I might write a bunch of stuff. I try to start on paper so that I can like think non-linearly. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then I'll write a one page. And then Ooh. after that, I'm really methodical. I'll just, I have a writer's group that I've been working with for five years. Oh, amazing. And yeah. And I meet with them three times a week, uh, three times a month. Sorry. Oh, I was like, damn, <laughs> you guys <laughs> are committed. Yeah. No, three times, uh, three times a month. Um, basically every week with a little wiggle room. Um, mm -hmm. 
so I I'll usually just like bring things into them. I'll bring the one page into them. I'll get notes. I'll bring a treatment and I'll bring an outline. And after I like, I'm, I'm a pretty methodical writer and mm. honestly working in television has made me even more methodical because um, TV is, that's how you write in TV. And it, it has sort of trained my personal process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when you write a one page, are you writing, the entirety of the story like beginning middle and end all on a single page like uh i just i would find that so difficult to do as the first thing um but is that usually what you're doing just because one pages are the death of me I, I, i find it so hard to uh summarize it but i guess if you're writing a one page when the script is already written it's much harder than starting with a one page because you don't have all the bullshit that you put into the finished script that you're trying to like choose what's important, what yeah. you need to cut out. Um, but is that usually what it is? It's the entirety of the story at that point in the idea process. Yeah. I think we might have to like define our terms here because okay. when you're saying a one page, what mm. I think that the, like the one page that you write after you finish the feature or whatever, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. after you finish the pilot, to mm-hmm. me is very much a selling tool that you mm-hmm. are giving to people to yeah. get them excited about your project. Totally. The one page that I write mm-hmm. uh, before starting a project is just something uh-huh. <laughs> like it's an it's an it's an internal document that I can. Bring to my writer's group. Yes. <laughs> and be okay. like, eh, yeah. you know, yeah. and be like, eh. So yeah. that's so that's no kind pressure. Of, yeah, no pressure. Yeah. It's usually just like, hey guys, I'm thinking it's it doesn't say hey guys. It's not a letter, <laughs> but it's like, it's like yeah. uh like this is this is the idea. It's gonna be like a one hour drama. Um yeah. oh cool. And... So you kind of are speaking like as the author too, it's not just talking about the what's happening in the plot of it all, but rather like talking about tone and like yes. things like that. Okay, cool. Very cool, much. Cool. Half of it is just like structure, tone, themes, yeah. why I want to write this, mm-hmm. uh, what I think it could be about, uh-huh. um, and then like um, just like a broad strokes story, which mm-hmm. is usually like, this is act one. And then, uh, you know, stuff happens. And then I figure it out. And then maybe this will out, this is how it will end. And then I'll bring it in and they'll be like, this is bad. And like, I just go from there. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the ending ends with a question mark. And then this is how it'll end. I, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's not, um, not, not, not a very much like an internal document. Sure. Sure. I love that. I bet it's crazy helpful too. I should maybe start dabbling in that instead of trying to just write titles all day. Um, <laughs> so uh, on average, how long does it take you for a first draft to be completed? Let's say like, are you writing more half hours or one hours right now? Right now I'm writing more one hours. Okay. Um, so like, yeah, a one hour, like from, the time you realize you have an idea to like typing, you know, fade out or the end or however you end a script. Well, I guess pilots don't end. That's feature. That's the feature land. Um, but like until you finish the one hour pilot, how long does it usually take you to go from idea generation to finishing a pilot, a one hour? Um, it's so hard to answer this question because I'm always working on multiple things at the same time, but probably sure. around, probably from, you know, the inception of the idea and including all the research and stuff to kind of a polished, polished draft, probably at least six months, mm-hmm. give or take, give or take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a very fair amount of time. I, some people seem like they get it done so quick and it, yeah. it, it does um matter, I think, to include a polished draft like not just you know the first draft that you don't really want anyone to read outside of maybe the writer's group um but yeah six months is very fair i think that's kind of me for a feature as well maybe a little longer especially if we're talking polished um because i got to go through quite a few rounds of notes to really start thinking that things are really getting solid but um cool six months is very fair um and then when your first draft is complete let's say first draft um 
what is the first thing are you doing? Are you sending it to your writers group? Are you kind of talking out loud with your husband about it? Are you just maybe throwing it into a contest or a coverage service or anything? I don't know if you still do that stuff. Probably not if you've been staffed. I don't know. Yeah, I can't, uh, no contests anymore, but I used to, I used to submit to like five, the five or six ones that I thought were kind of worth it. Yeah. Um, and now it's, so I, I bring my writer's group, everything I'm Mm -hmm. cripplingly dependent on my writer's group. If Mm -hmm. they, (laughs) if I, um, if my writer's group decides to break up, I don't know what my system would be, but yeah. yeah, So right now they, um, like they have, they have been reading everything. Like they've been Mm -hmm. reading everything from that first little, like, you know, vomit of a one page to, Mm -hmm. um, the first crappy draft to like the polished draft. And then usually when my writer's group is like, this is ready for prime time, I'll give it to my agent. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I don't know how much you can say because I noticed that you didn't specify on Twitter, but you have been in rooms for Netflix and for Amazon. Um, we don't have to talk too much about the shows, but I was just wondering, like, you know, what was your first room like? How did that gig come about for you? Um, just, you know, is whatever you do feel like you can say would be helpful, I think. Yeah. So my first gig came about, um, through Twitter, basically Mm -hmm. I had, um, well, my first like big gig, I had had a few like kind of small paid opportunities before that, but my first staff job came through Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it's a genre show at Netflix that is still unannounced. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got it because I was introduced to a showrunner through Twitter and, uh, they read, they read my, the one hour drama that got me reps and they were like, this is pretty good. Um, send me like, and they, and they kind of honestly just took it upon themselves to keep in touch. Cause I would not have bothered them if they hadn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple months later, they uh, reached out again and were like, Hey, like, what's up? Like, what's new in your room? They basically, I think they were, um, on production for their, their previous show. So like every time they'd come up for air, they'd shoot me an email, which was like really lovely. Yeah. Um, but they read a second script and they were like, you are, you're ready to staff on a show. And if mm-hmm. I get a show, I'll put you on my short list. I can't guarantee anything, but you're on my short list. Um, mm-hmm. And then like a month later, they got a show and um, I actually helped them staff that show mm-hmm. and uh, then was a staff writer on that show. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's those... a really weird, really weird story. And I don't I don't know anybody else who broke in this way. So, um, mm. yeah, I don't. Yeah, those Twitter relationships, though, they can they can matter sometimes, like just being present on social media sometimes can just put you out into the world. That's like, you know, social media can seem silly a lot. You know, we're all just like, look at me, look at how I'm living my life. Um, But I, I always say, like, you know, especially to screenwriters who are like me in like Missouri or like in Ohio or Virginia or something that no one's gonna know who you are or that you're trying to achieve the stream if you don't tell them. And sometimes yeah. you just got to put yourself out there and just be like, this is what I'm doing. You know, I'm trying to make it in this industry. That's very far from where I am right now. And it can help sometimes. And like Twitter was when I got a manager, I had just like kind of went deep in the, uh, the nickel a little bit. And someone from roadmap writers just reached out to me. I didn't pay them any money or anything. And they were like, Hey, you know, yeah, we follow your tweets and think you're funny. And, uh, you know, saw that you went deep in the nickel. Can we do anything to help you? And I was like, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm taking some manager meetings and stuff. I really want to find a manager. And they ended up linking me up with my now manager and we had a meeting and it went great. So like that all came from Twitter. You know, if I wasn't on Twitter and talking about, little wins here and there, you know, it wouldn't have happened. And it sounds similar for you, like, you know, just being there, being out there, it it helps sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I was, so I was uh, like you, I was living in Texas at the time. I will Mm. say it was kind of a strange time (laughs) because it it was the, 
you know, it was like mid pandemic and everybody yeah. was chronically online. And I think people were just more receptive and open to those kind of relationships than sure. they maybe are now when the industry is in a very different place. Um, there are a bunch of unemployed writers in LA and um, nobody is looking on the internet to hire people mm -hmm like to to hire people like there are there are people here who like are ready and have the work and like desperately yep. need to be staffed that's a very um, fair point yeah so i think i think the situation has changed <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but like uh, at the time like that was the climate and um i was able to take advantage of it um mm. and i found an advocate uh via twitter mm. that is mm. also actually how i got my uh, my manager, um, kind of the same way you did Joey Tuccio from Road roadmap writers reached mm -hmm. out after I semi semifinaled at the Austin film festival and was like, yeah. Hey, um, it seems like this script is doing well in mm -hmm. contests. Like if like, uh, like if you it can, can I read it? And, um, if you want, I'll set you up with some manager meetings the next time you come out to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, and at that time, I had been coming out to LA like a couple times a year. So basically, mm -hmm. the next time I came out, I was like, "Hey, I'm here." <laughs> like, yeah. you know, if that offer still stands, I would love to meet anybody who you feel would like the script. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I guess this is a nice time to segue into like you know your experience with going from Texas to LA and what kind of a difference it made for you as a writer, um, just being where everything is happening um yeah i mean it made a huge difference yeah. <laughs> i uh i'm really glad that i'm here i had mm -hmm. a really hard uh, it was it was a it was a difficult move for me to make because i had a partner who was unable to move mm -hmm. um so you know it's really it's it's hard when you, you're married to to you know, like you you have to make these decisions with two people in mind mm -hmm. um but again like during the pandemic his company went from being based in Austin to being remote mm -hmm. and so uh when i moved which was right at the end of the pandemic he mm -hmm. was also like all of a sudden more flexible cool um but yeah i mean i i i moved out here for uh i i moved out here for a staff job so it was um it was like that first year was pretty chaotic because i was working a lot while also trying to get my bearings in los angeles mm -hmm. um but i was also like gainfully employed and like like had you know a a, a reason to like get up every morning and yeah. be, be spending um the money required to like live in the city so mm -hmm. i i think mm -hmm. i think it was good and i also like met a bunch of people really fast um yeah and i was also like kind of familiar with the city already because like i said i've been coming out here for quite a few years um mm -hmm. just to meet people so i was mm -hmm. i was like very much like yeah. I mean, I had been coming out to LA. I just hadn't like lived here for an extended period of time. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, and it feels like for TV writers, it's like pretty much a necessity to come to LA, uh, depending on what kind of TV you're writing. I guess New York works too. If you were going to work on like an SNL or like a late night show or something that yeah. films there. Um, but oh, I feel really? like the majority of narrative storytelling is probably happening in LA. And, um, and that's kind of the thing. I feel like feature writers, like I'm a feature writer, I feel like you can get away with not being in LA. And that was what my manager told me during the pandemic. I was signed right at the end of 2021. So we were still very much in it. And he was like, you know, don't worry about it right now. You're fine because the industry, as you said, you know, this is how it is right now. And I think it's totally fine. But now that we're kind of creeping out of the pandemic, um, kind of starting to think even as a feature writer, how much would it benefit me? to be in Los Angeles, you know, and just being able to actually like show face and, you know, hang out with people. Um, you know, it's it, zoom is fine, but zoom is, you know, 
it's it's still kind of it's not quite as personal as you know hanging out with someone in real life so i'm starting to have that internal debate with myself too you know and i haven't seen a big enough payday yet that would you know allow me to move to la right now i I have friends who moved to la just you know to chase the career but didn't have a job lined up necessarily and you know more power to you but like i just i i i'm weary about doing that because i wonder just like you know how many serving gigs am i going to take just to like you know uh, try to get by and am I better off in Missouri? But it's a, anyway, I guess all I'm trying to say is, yeah, it's a tough decision for writers to make because it is a very expensive city and um, you don't want to cut into all of your uh, writing time or filmmaking time or whatever with needing to have like a demanding day job. Yeah, there are a lot of trade-offs. I think yeah. people think that they will come to LA and like magic will happen. Like it, it's it's like they will they'll land an assistant gig on a show and then they'll get staffed and serendipity but i think it's probably like i think the industry has gotten much more competitive over the past few years and it Uh probably like uh, like it's it's important to be strategic definitely yeah um what would you say is the biggest lesson you learned in your first uh, writer's room gig. How to pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel like I was so, I, I was so obsessed with getting staffed on a television show and I was digesting so much information and listening to so many podcasts about what it's like to be in a writer's room. So mm-hmm. very little about the writer's room experience actually surprised me. I kind of mm. knew what it was going to be like going in and it also had a relationship with the showrunner. So I knew them. Um, I just, and I helped staff the room. So there was a little bit of a ramp up there, mm. but, um, but I had had not had a lot of practice pitching mm-hmm. um, story, except for in maybe like, a little bit in my writer's group. And even that, yeah. like, it just, you aren't doing it at the pace that you are in a writer's, in a writer's room in an actual yeah. writer's room. So yeah, I think, I think pitching and like landing pitches, mm-hmm. um, like pitching in a compelling way, mm-hmm. um, kind of like, yeah, like figuring out how to keep up with the, like the river that is a, a writer's room from day to day was, was the biggest lesson. Yeah, I can imagine how intimidating that is because I'm I'm like currently how you probably were back then. My pitching skills have so much room to grow still. And I know that I hate whenever you're pitching and you can just feel yourself rambling and you're like, I'm (laughs) so far from what this story actually is and um, what the heart of it actually is. I'm just talking about shit that doesn't matter. But um, and I've done that in like a couple of roadmaps pitches that i've been invited to over zoom you know where it, it, man it's a different beast when many eyes are on you and ears are on you um and i can only imagine doing that in a room of veteran writers that i look up to and just being like oh, oh my god this yeah. is so scary um so you helped staff that room for your first writer's room gig that's super interesting to me and is that typical that like a brand new writer would help in the staffing process Oh, no, yeah, this, is, right. this is like, like I said, this is a really weird story. And when I tell it to other people, they are stunned. Yeah. This is a weird, this is a weird break in story. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm very far removed from like, you know, the television side and how that all works. But I would imagine like, yeah, to a veteran TV writer, that's like, what? Cause even yeah. to me that, that, you know, raised not a red flag, but it raised like a flag of like, Whoa, really? That's <laughs> insane. <laughs> not a red flag, not a like, red, red flag. flag, no. red flag. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like a, it's like a maroonish purple. It's a very pleasant color. Yeah. But, no, it's, um, it's true. Andy, I am a red flag. Just a walking, <laughs> just a, talking red flag. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. That'll be uh, the sound bite that I advertise this with. Yeah. Um, I think it worked out because the, uh, this particular showrunner had, just um they were like they were in between shows they had just promoted their assistant Mm -hmm. so they no longer had an assistant 
So I kind of, um, and they knew that like, I didn't have a ton of experience being an assistant on a television show. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of like an, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to say it was, I don't know that it was a test, but um, they sent me a couple scripts a couple months before the room started and were like, Hey, like, what do you think of these scripts? And I read them. There were three of them. And I was like, I like this one. I don't like this one. Um, and I think this one is okay. You know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they were sort of like, that's exactly what I think. Like, it seems like we have the same taste. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to help me staff the show? So cool. that's, that's awesome. That's, you passed the test. Kind of, yeah. So it was a test. It turns yeah. out. Um, yeah. We had one of those types of things. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But I will, all, all that to say, it was also like an incredible gift because I think when you haven't broken into television yet, you're maybe at this point, like I was wrapped. I had an agent, a manager and a lawyer, but mm-hmm. I had not um, read a lot of scripts I, like, I didn't know what a sample looked like mm-hmm. uh, that was coming from agencies. Like, I didn't know what staffing samples looked like. Sure. And, you know, over the course of like a month or so, I read, um, you know, like maybe like 150 staffing samples. Wow. So all of a sudden I had, yeah, by the end of it, I had like a very good idea of like what it takes to get submitted for jobs, like what kind of scripts get submitted for jobs, what mm-hmm. other staffed writers have as their what what other staffed writers are leading with as far as like tv samples go mm-hmm. and for me it was just really helpful because i felt like i was still very much on the outside looking in and um it also just helped build my confidence like i you yeah. know didn't like it, it after you read that many scripts um it kind of gets it kind of um erases any imposter syndrome that you have because you're like oh yes my scripts are my scripts are totally fine like yeah yeah i'm doing okay yeah 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 for sure yeah that and you know talking about your your spec writing before you wrote a pilot being film school i mean holy shit that's that's a film course right there that's um reading 150 actual samples from agencies um because that's a hard part of it too. We're we're also in our bubble when you're coming up trying to be a screenwriter right. that it's like, yeah, I know what my scripts look like. And for me, it was, I know what my classmates um, scripts look like. I know what some of my peers look like that people, friends I've made online that, you know, I've read the writing. Um, but what is, what does it look like at, you know, the actual staffing level? Like right. what are those scripts like? Um, that's just such, sounds like such a valuable experience that you got. Yeah, it was a total gift. It was a yeah. huge gift. Cool, cool. All right, so let's jump away from screenwriting. I want to know what are some of your hobbies outside of screenwriting besides building cabins? We've established that one. But then um what are some other hobbies that you have that help keep you sane? Um I picked up tennis during the strike. Oh nice. That's kind of what that's kind of like an old new hobby. I played in high school and then during the strike, a fellow writer reached out and asked if I wanted to play. And mm-hmm. I was really uh, tired of walking in circles around traffic cones. And For sure. so we, we started playing a couple of times a week. And mm-hmm. um, that's, that's kind of like, that's like a, that's my big hobby outside of writing yeah. right now. Nice. That's good. Yeah. I, I love having a hobby where you kind of can get outside and get moving yeah. and get the blood flowing. Cause so much of our lives is set, spent sitting at a desk trying to write. Oh my God. Um, it totally it made me yeah. love, it made me love LA. Like LA weather mm-hmm. is perfect for playing tennis year round. And I don't think I truly appreciated LA until it was December and I, I was, I was outside playing tennis. What is the like average temperature like in December in LA? I don't know, like 65. God, that'd be so nice. That's yeah. actually my favorite weather is like 65, like 70, yeah. 65. Um, yeah, I'm a, I, well, I'm an old skateboarder now, but I've grown up my whole life skating and that's kind of my nice. thing I've held on to. And all the skateboarders flock to Los Angeles because it's just beautiful weather all year round. And um, yeah, it's nice here in the winter, all the skateboarders kind of shut down or go to indoor skate parks and stuff like that. And it's just not the same. You're just yeah, breathing, in, breathing in dust and shit. It's terrible. Yeah. 
It gets cold in Missouri. Even Austin. Yeah. Austin gets so unbearably hot in the summer that you yeah. can't do anything outside. But LA is just, man, it's just like perfect year round. And until I started playing tennis, I didn't really, I didn't really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I really appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Um, okay, so I'm going to make you pick one of your babies. Um, of the scripts that you've written, which is your favorite and why? Yeah. Um, I think my favorite script currently, it's always like my baby's always the thing that I'm working on, but of course, my yeah. favorite, my favorite script that's done is probably the half hour that got me staffed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called bad Gandhi. It mm-hmm. is a stoner comedy about a young Gandhi, just trying to be Gandhi, like Gandhi before he was Gandhi, <laughs> like yeah. Gandhi, oh Gandhi, Gandhi when he was like 21 and trying to get a job and figure, figure his life out. Yeah. Um, that's so good. That, yeah. That script changed my life. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, I, I, st- I still love it. That, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. The sh- I would love to make that show. It sounds like a show that needs to be made. I'm, I'm surprised that it hasn't been because that's a great pitch. I love that. Yeah. Um, so I want to know, what is a recent accomplishment that you're proud of? It could be screenwriting related. It doesn't have to be. It could be tennis related if you wanted. Um, a recent accomplishment. Yep. Ah, you got to brag is... about yourself. Okay. Well, this isn't like super recent, but I'm going to go back to my writer's group again. Uh-huh. Like my writer's group and I just got to our, we just reached our five-year anniversary. That's huge. Which, um, yeah, which like feels amazing. I don't think a lot of writers groups last this long. No, um, I've already had, been in, have... I've been in two or three and none of them made it past like a year. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> it, yeah, it, we've like, we've had like a lot of success stories when we started, everyone was just like in Austin, not working in the industry. And now kind of half of us are working and I feel like the rest of us are sort of on the cusp. Mm -hmm. Um, so that feels, that feels like a community that I've really helped build and like cultivate and it makes me happy. It also keeps me super sane out here because those relationships, um, I think because they preceded like money and jobs and career just feel really authentic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like- for sure. Yeah. That, that, that's important to hold on to those kind of people in your life. Um, all right. And we have reached the final question, Shruti. Okay. I would love to know, we've kind of talked about it throughout the episode a little bit, but I'm going to ask you one more time. What are a few words of advice that you would give to your fellow screenwriters out there, especially to those just getting started? Um, gosh, this question is always so it's so broad that my mind goes blank. Yeah, that's but, okay. If there's a 40 but, minute pause, I can cut that right. Yeah. Out. Yeah. You can get rid of all my rambling. Just please mm-hmm. make me sound smart, Andy. I will um, try my best. I have to do it for myself every episode. I swear. I, <laughs> um, I, I feel like people should be, uh, okay. So I feel like we live in a world where you feel like you, okay. So going back to what we were saying before, like you do have to like grow your shit and show your shit. Like you do ultimately have to like put your stuff out there. You can't just like, you can't write in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Um, however, I feel like a lot of times people who are just starting out, Mm -hmm. um, feel like they're under so much pressure to be like public facing, Mm-hmm. Um, that they, um, they start like sort of promoting themselves in their work too early, yes. I would say. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like people need to let themselves just like be a student for a while mm-hmm. and learn how to write, write screenplays if they want to be writers. Um, cause mm-hmm. this is a really like esoteric, um, and specific craft mm-hmm. and, um, like whatever there there there's a lot of luck involved with building a screenwriting career and there's a lot of structural inequities and like hollywood is not fair but like um there is like a game to all of this even if it uh-huh. is kind of a, a rigged game yeah. um and you can crack it um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah i would tell people just to be like a student for a while mm-hmm. um before they really start like trying to launch their careers and mm-hmm. um 
kind of focus on craft and concept um, mm-hmm. because if because at least in my experience, like those things really matter mm-hmm. and really well-written scripts have kind of this like compounding effect on your career where they're just like doing work for you while you're doing other things um, mm-hmm. in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if you, if you do that work up front, uh, once you get to LA or once you actually are in a writer's room, mm-hmm. it will be so much easier. I can't agree enough. That's the, I, I, you see it all the time. Definitely people who are a little, it it's dangerous too, because like, you know, promoting yourself online, like it's, it's very much like it, it's an ego thing. You know, I do it all the time and it's, it's like an ego thing. And I think that getting to into that ego thing way too early in your journey, like you said, it can, it cannot be great. I think a good way to like stay humbled, maybe what I did and maybe you did as well. Cause we talked about contests a little bit at that stage when you're focusing on just craft and concept and trying to be a better writer, submit to contests, you know, submit to the good ones. Like, you know, do your own research and find the the three, four, five, six that are actually worth submitting to. But contests for me, the thing that I liked about it, yes, you spend money. And yes, sometimes like it's, you spend 60 bucks just to get a letter that says, no, we're good. And, but it can really like kind of just give you a barometer of where you're at. Now, they're all subjective contests, and sometimes your script that won the nickel wouldn't even place in some tiny screenwriting contest, and you're like, what the hell? Um, That stuff happens too, but I do think that like, if you're consistently placing across some of these contests, you you start to see like okay like I'm starting to get something here like many people are starting to agree that like this is a coherent story or whatever it is yeah um, my scripts are meeting industry yeah my scripts are meeting industry standards at yeah. least I do remember early on in my journey the first time I placed in ScreenCraft I was like wow mm-hmm. a real legitimate industry professional read this who works at a high level and then you come to find out years later that it's like oh those are usually like college kids in like a screenwriting class reading the first round you know um so that that definitely humbled me to learn that but it's like yeah you're right meeting industry standards um i I think that's just a good way to like kind of track where you're at and maybe not get ahead of yourself and like well why don't i have an agent you know and it's like well i mean have you only written one feature and you're only on draft two, you know, it's kind of not time yet. You gotta, you gotta keep working at it. Yeah. Yeah. And people will kind of tell you, like people will tell you when you're ready. <laughs> like yes. people, will tell, yeah. people will tell you, um, yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's so funny because it, when you first start writing, you feel like you're just submitting everything into the void. Um, but I found that like, once you get a little bit better, people are are really honest about your work. Like they'll be yeah. like, mm-hmm. "This this is a good like the when I when I wrote Bad Gandhi, I met several showrunners who were like, "This is a staffing sample. I would staff you on the sample. You will probably get staffed in the next few months." And that was crazy mm-hmm. to hear because it felt like such an impossible um, hurdle that I was trying mm. to overcome. And mm. yet here were these people who were just like, yeah, this is, this is going to happen. You've made it an inevitability. And that's, mm. and, and it had never happened before with a script, even mm. with the script that got me repped. Yeah. Um, so it was just, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, I, I was going to ask. It's also true. Yeah. I was going to ask real quick with bad Gandhi. Do you remember how many, original pilots you'd written at that point? Uh, Bad Gandhi was my 11th script and okay. my, my like fifth original pilot. Okay. Yeah. So there you I go. Think, or my sixth original pilot. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Cause yeah, you get to a point where early on you're learning, okay, here's structure. This is character, but it, it really needs to all come together and it just yeah. takes time and it takes trying it with like, six seven different stories different sets of characters and um yeah it just takes a while but you yeah know, I, and you can I only like, work on yeah. so many things at one time sorry yeah <laughs> like, no, just... no you're totally right yeah um 
Right on. Okay. Well, that was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Honestly, I think people are going to get a lot of help out of this, especially TV focused people, because I never provide any assistance in that realm. So uh, TV focused writers will really enjoy your insight and experience. Uh, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out and, and having me on and being patient about today. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. All right, y'all. Episode 40 is in the books. I want to thank Shruti Saran for coming on the show and sharing a lot of wisdom about her TV writing origin story, where she's at now, what she's learned. And I think it's going to help out a lot of you um, if you're interested in TV. And even if you're not, I know I learned a lot. It, it low key made me want to go back and write another pilot. I've only written one 30 minute pilot ever, um, but I love half hour comedies. So maybe that'll be something I do. Um, if you like the episode again, you know, subscribe to the channel, like the video, say something smart that Shruti said, say something dumb that I said. You can do that on Twitter and Instagram too. If you're only listening at social writer pod, you can go to our link tree link in the bio. If you want to donate, give me a few bucks. I appreciate it. I'm not above begging on the internet. So that's about it guys. Um, I hope everyone's doing well out there. I hope you guys are just killing it. It is February 13th. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. If you have a Valentine, I hope that you have a beautiful romantic day together. And if you're single like me, I hope it is a lonely, depressing, horrible day. No, I'm just kidding. We're already halfway through February, which is pretty insane. Um, I hope you guys are just, you know, taking care of business, getting things done. I hope the industry is getting back to normal. I hope that projects are actually being picked up i think it's a pretty brutal time right now um yeah that's really all i got i have nothing optimistic to say whatsoever except that the oscars are coming up and you should go to a fun oscar party if that's your thing i think i'm going to this year and it's going to be fun um that's it guys take care of yourselves i will talk to you next time bye bye the social screenwriters